This is Tales from the Pros, where business leaders and influencers share their stories of inspiration, struggles, and successes. And I'm your host, Michael Giorgio. Hey, everyone. Good afternoon. Welcome to Tales from the Pros. And this is Michael Giorgio, your host and co-founder of Imagine Ovation. Our guest with me here today is James Avery, who is the founder of AdZerk here in Durham, North Carolina, which is geared towards user-first sites and apps looking to drive revenue without sacrificing the user experience. AdZerk is a cloud API platform for building integrated native ads and sponsored listings. Unlike creating an ad platform from scratch, which essentially could take years, their APIs enable developers to create one in just a few weeks. James, thank yeah, you so absolutely. much for being with me here today, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So, James, what really caught my attention uh, you know, before reaching out to you to be on this podcast was I saw your company, AdZerk, on TechCrunch. And I also saw how you made it to the next level with the help of Reddit, which I thought was really, really cool. And I saw you guys made it to Inc. Magazine's top 500 best companies list. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell so, me a little uh, bit about that? So yeah, I mean, we we started working with Reddit all the way back in 2012, um, and they and one of the interesting things with them was uh, originally when we started out, we were really focused on traditional banner ads, um, which you know you see all over the web, um, which are really kind of you know pretty static, pretty you know annoying to most users. Um, and we started working with Reddit in that regard as well. We started working with their uh, their team to serve their banner ads, uh, but we quickly kind of found out that they had been working on this native unit. Uh, that was a sponsored link. So, you know, at the top of the Reddit page, there's a sponsored link uh, that you can see that's like a real Reddit item. You can upvote it, downvote it, you can save it, you can leave comments on it. Uh, and they were, you know, serving these as advertisements. And you yeah, it's a paid link. A, it's it a paid, paid link, but it's a real a link, link on Reddit, right? So, you know, a, a company could come in and, and you know, do a post about, you know, this is a new car we have, or this is a software product, um, and then they could promote that link. Um, and what's you know what's compelling about that is that it's actually built into Reddit in the way that a user uses Reddit, you know, as opposed to a banner ad on the right or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're actually you know it's integrated into the flow. Uh, and so when we started talking to them, we realized, hey, like this is this is the kind of unit, like this is this is what we think makes the internet a better place. You know, not banner ads, but these really integrated, high quality units. Uh, so we, what we did was we built an API so that they could mm-hmm. use our back end, you know, our decision engine and our pacing engine and reporting. They could use all of that uh, while they essentially, uh, uh, you know, still run this very integrated uh, integrated ad. Um, so, you know, traditional banner ads are like some JavaScript you throw on a page. Like our API allowed them to really run these integrated ads um, using our API. And that started back in like 2012, 2013. And it was kind of an experiment at the time, right? We were like, let's build this API. It should work. You know, like uh, we can get ready to use it. That'd be really cool. Um, but, you know, we didn't realize that that was going to become the focus of our business is that enabling other companies to use our API to build those same sort of like integrated native or, or sponsored listings for e-commerce sites or, or anything that's really kind of a, a more effective, better way to do advertising as opposed to just standard like pre-roll and, Mm -hmm. you know, video and and stuff like that. 
So it was like Reddit was kind of like a proof of yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. I mean, they were already a customer, and so they were kind of a willing, uh, you know, participant in this experiment, Um, and it really helped us kind of solidify that as a way forward for the company. That's awesome. So, I mean, I noticed you guys had a lot of growth. You started in Uh, well, so we started. So it's it's kind of a long story, um, but essentially. you know, AdZerg really started in 2010, 2011. Um, before that, I had been running a couple of uh, small ad networks, um, which was kind of the the initial version of AdZerg um, before that. But AdZerg really, you know, we like to say 2011. You can really, you know, one of those things where it's, uh, you know, you could you could pick any number of dates for for when it started. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And how did you guys really make it to? I mean, I know Inc. 500 is not easy to get. I mean, you got to definitely be growing pretty quickly. Do they base it yeah. off of revenue or not? Yeah, so it's based off of, sorry to cut you off. It's based off of, you know, your growth over three years. Um, so part of it is timing. Like, uh, you have to be above, I think the, the, the revenue has to be above a certain amount. Um, I don't remember the exact numbers uh, the first year. And then, um, three years down the road, it's based on the percentage growth of that revenue over the three years. Um, and so, you know, we, you know, we basically could look at 2011 to 2014, uh, which I think the years were, maybe it was 2012 or 2015. Um, and we had, I mean, we grew tremendously then, right? I mean, we went from kind of a really small company with a couple customers to, you know, a company with a, you know, a lot more customers and millions in revenue. Um, so because we had that kind of that that spurt of initial growth that was really, really good, that gave us a really, really great percentage growth, um, which put us at like 200 and something in the Inc. 500, um, which was a lot of fun. It's fun to do that and kind of get your name on there. Um, we haven't kept doing it, um, not because, you know, our growth has still been good, but I just kind of feel like it's that first year where you can get kind of in the top couple hundred is is really worth it. And then there's kind of diminishing returns of dealing with it after that, I think. That's cool, man. Yeah. I mean, congrats yeah, about that. That's, that's awesome. I definitely, I love seeing local companies doing really well. And, um, you know, like I said, me and you talked before, it's, it's a lot of hard work and I understand the grind. It's, it's crazy stuff, man. So it must, must've uh, definitely been worth it. So that's cool. Um, so I, I want you to tell people, James, really what, you know, what is ad tech or digital advertising and how is it, essentially impacting marketing and sales in today's generation because what i from what i see your platform what you guys have done you're creating another opportunity for publishers and e-commerce companies to yeah absolutely uh, so i mean you know we've kind of all uh you know with the internet right so internet internet is created everybody loves it there's lots of free content there's lots of uh information available more so than ever before and kind of early on in the internet advertising became the the core mode of making money um, you know, some people regret that now, um, but I think one of the one of the beautiful things about advertising is that you know anybody who has access to the internet can get to all this information, you know, this huge wealth of information, without you know paying anything. Uh, so you know you can go to the library and read about whatever you want on a computer, even if you don't have the internet at home or have a computer at home. Um, you know, and and advertising makes a lot of that possible. You know, you can have a site that's free because it's making this money through advertising. Uh, and what started out is very simple. You know, uh, the initial banner ads were put a banner ad on a page and, and you know, uh, put an image on the page and you're done. Has gotten exceedingly complex. Uh, so, ad, you know, ad tech today, you know, is, is dominated by people like Google and Facebook um, and Amazon. 
Uh, and then there's lots of other third-party players, but they're you know they're doing real-time auctions. So you know anytime you go to a Yep. Yeah. And so you, you have these real-time auctions and that facilitated things like hyper-targeting so they can retarget people who went to their website that happened to live in North Carolina that have a net worth of X and that recently test drove a Ford. And, you know, they can, they can do a lot of incredible targeting. Um, and there's a lot of data concerns with that as well, right? I mean, as we're seeing with, uh, you know, issues that Facebook's run into with the Cambridge Analytica stuff and things like that, you're, you're seeing that people are starting to realize how much data is being collected about them uh, in the ad tech world. Uh, so ad tech is, it's a pretty big industry. I mean, there's a lot of companies in ad tech. There's a lot of money made in ad tech, um, but it's also something that's, yeah, it's exceedingly yeah, dominated by yeah. a handful of major players though. Um, and kind of Google, Facebook and Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you guys see that there was, I mean, what was really the motive behind building AdZerk's API platform? Because you know, like you just said, right, there's some big, there was some really big players in the industry like Google who, you know, we'll talk about in a little bit, but what was really the the drive and motive behind Yeah, no, I, we kind of stumbled platform? into it. So I think I alluded to it earlier, but uh, I, I was running a couple of ad networks. And this was back when I was a consultant. So I was basically a software engineering consultant. I'd go in and help companies run these kind of big projects. Uh, and then I kind of just kind of stumbled into running these these couple of small ad networks, like really kind of hyper-targeted towards developers. Uh, it was towards uh, .NET developers and Ruby developers. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was running those networks, I kind of realized, hey, like, you know, there's some tools out here for me, but I, none of them were great. A lot of them were kind of ancient software and you know which really wasn't that old but it felt really old right you know like it's you know stuff that was written in the early 2000s and this is the late 2000s which is ancient like software wise um and so i decided to write my own and so you know the first version of adzerk was just a ad server that was built to run uh vertical ad networks like what i was running uh and then as we started to kind of sell it like one of our first customers was stack overflow um, as we started to sell it, I realized, hey, like this actually, this you know, this software product is much more compelling than an ad network, um, and and that's when it kind of took off. And when we, you know, so we started focusing on selling the software. We I sold off the ad ad uh, the networks, which was kind of our first kind of you know supersede kind of early investment was the money uh, from that sale was able to put that into Adzer. Um, but you know, I think. You know, it's one of those times where like ignorance is bliss, where I think if I'd sat down and thought about the people we're about to compete with, then we might not have done it. But this was also, you know, 2000 and, you know, 2010, 2011. So, you know, Google hadn't yet, you know, really recommitted themselves to DoubleClick. They'd bought DoubleClick, but they hadn't, you know, they hadn't rebuilt it yet the way they have now. Um, Facebook was nowhere near the powerhouse they are now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the kind of digital advertising space, you know, Twitter didn't even or barely existed. Like Twitter had only been around a couple of years. So uh, it was a different landscape back then. Um, and then really the original idea that we went into, uh, you know, didn't work out really at all. Like from a sense of kind of just being a display ad server, uh, we quickly found that we had to differentiate ourselves from these big guys. Um, and that's really where the API and the custom formats comes in. That's cool. You know, and that's James, this is what I love, man. In all honesty, like what I read about you guys and your story and just about Adzerk in general, I I knew that there was a lot of competitors in your space. And you remind me a little bit of myself because we started in 2011 and you know, the economy, when you guys started, right, the economy wasn't good. Um, 
And it was a lot of, uh, it was just hard to start a business, right? It was hard to, to get funding. It was, it was just, it was very difficult. And you guys were kind of in a, I wouldn't say oversaturated space, but you were in a very competitive space. And when we started our company, right, Imagine Ovation, we were in a very competitive space building software and apps and things like that. And we went ahead and did it. You know, we weren't scared of the competition. And that's why, you know, that, that's why I think, it, to me at least, it, I consider you a leader in your space because it seems like you have no fear. And I love that. And that's really the people I'm interviewing for this podcast is people who have no fear, people who just go out and do it and they work hard. They're not afraid of the competition. They, uh, you know, they're not afraid of, of anything, really. They just go out and do it and they believe in what they're doing. And, and that's what I really want to talk to you about here is, you know, I know, it start, I know it's really hard starting a tech company uh, organically. And, uh, you know, that's how we did it. But I noticed you guys received a few rounds of funding over the years. What, 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 yeah, so what we, was that process like? So yeah, when we started out originally, I was kind of funding it from consulting and, and things like that. And then uh, we quickly realized that to really scale it, we were going to need to raise some money. Uh, we already had some customers. We had revenue. Um, that revenue was basically paying for hosting, and we kind of had one one employee who was paying salary for. I wasn't taking a salary. You had another guy who wasn't taking a salary. Um, you know, we quickly realized we needed to raise some money. Um, you know, for how, how long did that go for? How many, how many um, years were you? Not it wasn't that many years. I mean, because I had the ad networks and things like that um, that that were providing revenue. Um, so really, it was only about yeah. six or seven months. I think I didn't take a salary. Um. But yeah, so we, yeah, and so that was in 2011 was when we really started doing that. And, you know, I could have like, you know, I, I basically could have paid myself, but instead we hired another engineer to help kind of accelerate development and keep not taking a salary. Um, yeah, um, but eventually like, you know, had to had to pay myself a salary at some point. Uh, and also we really wanted to grow things. Like, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to hire more engineers, we wanted to hire uh, sales and support. And so we, you know, we started going out looking to raise money you know, originally we were looking to raise more and we eventually settled on, I think our first round was 650K, kind of a, you know, a tiny seed round by these, like today's terms, but like an average seed round probably for back then. Uh, and, uh, you know, and it was, I think it's, raising money is always a slog. Like there's some people I think that get lucky and, and raise money overnight, but, uh, you know, anytime I've had to do it, it's always been, you know, it's a, it's a sales game. It's talking to 50 people to get the five or 10 you need to get a round done, um, you know, or talking to a hundred people, you know, and getting one. Yeah. I mean, and once you have really, it's right. once you have the lead, yeah. everything else falls into place, right? Once you have somebody who's committed that initial amount, like I think, yeah. you know, we had people commit, I think it was 200, 250 K is like the lead. And then, you know, we quickly filled up the rest of the round and we actually, it was originally gonna be a 500 K round. And then we ended up increasing it because we could raise more money. So we went from like, we wanted to raise like 2 million down to like 500 K back up to like 650. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, I mean, it's, it's always, I think it's, it's one of the things that people still underestimate to these days is how, how hard it is to separate people from their money, right? Whether it's investment or paying for a product or buying a product or donating, um, you know, it's still the hardest thing out there is getting someone to, to you know, believe in your idea enough to write a check for hundreds of thousands of dollars is is no easy task. Do you think it's less risky to seek an investor rather than go get a, a loan, maybe from the you know S- small business uh, SBA uh, or even 
I mean, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, crowdfunding. There's all these other methods of, of raising money, right? But what, what are your thoughts about that? You think it's, it's better to... Yeah, I think, I think it all depends investors? on what you're doing. I think that uh, like things like Kickstarter are amazing if you have a physical product uh, because that's what they're really built for. You know, they're not built for... I've never seen somebody try to kickstart like an enterprise sales product. You know, like something you're selling to enterprises. You know, you're almost always you're you know you're kickstarting a a board game or a food product or even you know you can even kickstart stuff that has you know that's like research oriented or you know that's benefiting you know individuals. That's uh, you know all kinds of stuff. You can kickstart all kinds of stuff as long as you can find a lot of people who are willing to pay fifty or hundred bucks. Uh, It doesn't work with like enterprise software or even any kind of SaaS software. Um, and then when it comes to like SBA loans um, and bank loans in general, I don't, they still don't really get the idea of SaaS software. I mean, like when you're, when you're creating something like this, you don't have any physical assets, right? You know, they understand like, Hey, you want to borrow $300,000 to start a dry cleaner because you need to buy the dry cleaning equipment and you need to, you know, rent a space and you need to upfit the space. Yeah, and, yep. you know, and they, they know how to model that. If you go to them and say, I want to write some software for six months and then people are going to give me a hundred bucks a month for it. You know, they have no model for that. Um, so I think if you're writing software, the, really the only way, I think I still think the only way to do it is to, is to either, you know, have enough personal capital that you can bankroll yourself and a couple people um, for, you know, six to 12 months um, yeah. or to go raise money to do that. Um, and I'm still a big believer in small rounds. I mean, you know, for, you can build a lot of stuff for $500,000 nowadays, um, even way more than we did, you know, we're able to back then. Uh, just because of all the, you know, cloud computing and, and the stuff that Amazon provides and the tools out there, um, it's really pretty amazing how far you can make that money go if you're careful. Um, and I think that's the way to go. Uh, and I think that's really the only option for for software. You know, people talk about, you know, there's like ICOs and there's crowdfunding and things like that. But I think that's it's pretty tough. Whereas I feel like if you have the experience and you've, you know, maybe done it before, you have ver- experience in the vertical you know, you can go raise small rounds pretty quickly. Um, you know, it's not easy, but like people do it. I like that. It's like little micro rounds. So yeah, it, it's good because you notice that a lot of these startups, they're always seeking the really, really large investments. And when we, you know, when we're on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, you always hear about, oh, this company raised 5 million, 10 million bucks, or even 50 million or whatever it is. But the, you don't, that's really rare. You don't see a lot of companies raising that kind of money off the bat. It's I think the micro rounds is is really smart because yep. it helps you to be more efficient. And I don't mean you talk a little bit about efficiency, right? Starting up from from nothing, you have to be efficient because you're not. I mean, we're yeah, not no, absolutely. And I think too, the small rounds help keep you help avoid what we like to call playing house, which is is when you get into the mode of mm-hmm. you spend too much time on the mechanics of now you have a company as opposed to the core goal of like building a product, you know? And I think it's really hard to trap that gets, is easy to fall into when you start hiring people that, you know, I think early on, like you should basically have developers or salespeople like that's it. And when you start hiring other, other jobs and other positions and VPs of business development and things like that, like you're getting way ahead of yourself. And if you only have 500 K, like you don't do that, right? Like you, you can't afford to do that. Um, you know, or you start getting too too much into what your benefits right. packages are and things like that. And I think we're all guilty of that a little bit. Um, but, you know, I think the focus needs to be on just building that product and getting traction. And that's all that matters early on. Um, the other thing I'll say, too, is that I think that accelerators are still, I mean, like accelerators are a great place to go um, 
if you don't even have a product yet, like if you've built nothing um, or you have a very small product like Y Combinator and Techstars and these guys, you know, are built to get you to that place where you could then go raise money. Um, And they help teach you to be lean. They're focused on being lean. They keep you out of that, you know, playing house syndrome because they're providing some of the tools you need. They're kind of keeping you focused. Um, You know, if I was doing it all over again, I would have applied to Y Combinator and Techstars as like, you know, step number one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think planning and patience with all startups plays a big role, and we'll talk a, a little bit about that. How that you know played a role in, in your guys' success, but I mean, so do you, do you feel that James? Do you feel that funding was really needed for Adzerk, or do you think you could have grown it organically? You think? I mean, obviously, right? If you grow organically, it probably grows slower, or do you think it wouldn't have? Yeah, lasted? I think I think the main benefit that? that raising money gave us was. You know, I think a lot of starting a company is is experiments, right? Like kind of that lean startup mentality of like, what's the, what are you, what, what hypothesis are you testing? Mm-hmm. Raising money let us, or helped us figure out what we needed to be doing. Like it got us to, you know, to where we had a hypothesis that we'd proven around, you know, the API and native and sponsored listings. Uh, whereas I think if we hadn't raised money, there would always been that moment of, well, is the issue that we don't have money? Is the issue that we can't hire the salesperson? Is the issue that we can't do you know, X or Y? And I think it would have taken us a lot longer to get to that point. Um, you know, I think you can always do it without raising money. Like We could have done it without raising yeah. money, but it would have taken us a lot longer to get where we are, I think. Um, and especially, I think it would have been harder to figure out that, you know, hey, we put a lot of resources against this and it's not working. You know, like that's the problem is, is that this isn't going to work. Um, as opposed to, you know, the problem being, oh, like, you know, we're not, you know, like we don't have enough resources. And so I think it, it kind of takes out an equation um, that you could, you know, kind of falsely apply as the reason something's not working. Yeah, no, I understand. I mean, the, the money that you guys raise, I mean, it seems like you put most of it in just hiring the, the most uh, skillful and efficient people, right, to excel your company and also yeah, I mean, your technology really, stack too, right? To make sure that you're staying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nowadays like, you should be spending money on anything other than people, like early on, right? Like anything else, if you're spending a bunch of money on it, like it's not a good idea. Uh, you know, it should just be hiring engineers and and salespeople or marketing. Like those are really only the ways you should be spending that early money. Um, and we've actually been really capital efficient. I mean, we've only raised about a little bit over one and a half million dollars uh, over the course of Adzerk. We've been profitable for you know multiple years now. Um, and continue to grow. So, you know, we didn't really get on that VC wagon of, you know, A, B, C, D, E, and keep raising money and doubling down. Um, you know, we raised some money, we we found something that worked, and we realized we can grow it, you know, kind of sufficiently without raising a bunch more money. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And, and you know, the thing is, is that when you raise so much money, you notice a lot of these companies, they end up paying themselves you know, these crazy, crazy salaries. And you ever watch Shark Tank, right? You, you always ask, you know, you see Mark Cuban asking them like, all right, so what's your salary? And they're like, well, $300,000. They're like, okay, $300,000 your salary. And you guys raised $2 million? Yeah, I, don't, I, I, I know the people salary? that invested in us would have never let me do that. So I don't know what their investors are doing to allow them to take that. You know, I, you know, I, don't, I don't make anywhere near $300,000 now as a profitable company. So... <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> so, I, I mean, you guys are in a competitive space, right, James? I mean, you know, you're at tech digital advertising. You got some huge players we talked about. 
I mean, Google is in your space. Did you guys ever feel threatened from them? Or you just kind of felt, you know what, they're already in the space. I mean, they can't really harm us now. We're just going to do our best to compete. What, what, how did you guys really differ? How do you really differentiate yourselves from it? Is it more yeah, like I mean, we kind or? of had to figure out that, you know, I mean, Google, like when we tried to sell a traditional display ad server, um, we could not compete with Google. Uh, and we learned that. Like, sure, we carved out customers here and there. Like, you can always do that. You know, you can always find customers that you have a feature that they need that Google doesn't have or, or you're, you're willing to do something that Google isn't. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't really a viable business. Uh, we had to go towards the API route and, the, and helping publishers really build their own systems. And the reason that we can do that and that we don't think Google will, will get into that is because uh, it's not fundamentally scalable in the way that Google would need it to be. Right, so we're we're helping a publisher build a mm-hmm. you know build a uh, you know kind of bespoke native product that can be very profitable for that publisher. But what Google needs is Google needs to have things that are that can be run across you know seventy percent of the internet, and where McDonald's can come to them and spend a billion dollars you know or whatever on ads and run that across their whole network. And so we really had to find this piece that is like, you know, the opposite of what Google is able to do. Google has to build things. Well, they can be customized and they can, you know, be native in quotes. Like they can be kind of native. Uh, they have to apply to, they have to have a broad enough, you know, part of the internet that they can apply to that they can never be as unique uh, as what we can do. Um, and so really we kind of found the one like niche that we can, we can live in that, uh, you know, where we can sign people and that, you know, we're, you know, Google's not going to compete with us there. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think when you're when you're competing, there's there's no sense in trying to go head to head with Google, right? I mean, they're they're massive, um, but as with you know, right. this is always the case, right? There's always there's always spaces that they they don't want to or can't compete in because it's not, uh, you know, it's not, you know, not compatible with their business model. So Google doesn't offer the custom ad Correct. solutions like you guys do, right? It seems like you guys are more. Custom yeah, I mean, so based, we're not custom in that right? we don't we don't build software custom for people, but we en- enable them to do that. Uh, and the big difference is that it's scalable in right. a way that you know we uh, or it's you know it's not it's not scalable in the sense that that Google would need it to be right that it could go across the whole the whole web. Um, but it's you know it's great for us because it's it's you know helping this individual publisher or e commerce site build a really compelling solution for their customers. So what platforms do your, I mean, are your APIs, can they be on any platform? Like what, what, what platform do you guys work on? I mean, what, where does it, where does the API? Yeah, yeah. I mean, people can call us from anywhere. We have people that use us in iPhone, Android apps. We have podcasts that use us to insert, uh, dynamically insert ads and stream them into their, their uh, podcast streams. We have people use us on the web on, you know, we've, we've had somebody trying us out on uh, like displays, like in, in uh, train stations and things like that. So, you know, you can use this API anywhere that you have connection to the internet, right? So it's, it's, it's exceedingly flexible. That's cool. Huh. I mean, I like it how that you guys are not really trying to compete with Google. You know, it's, you kind of know your, you know what you guys do. You know your competitors. You know you're not really trying to compete with the biggest player. You're trying to just be yourself and not really making excuses and not not st- not being fearful. Not not really fearing them. You know you're just trying to be yourselves and and you. I think you guys know your audience and it's pretty cool that you know with 
you guys having this ad platform, you can really, I mean, you're, you're probably providing a lot of uh, reporting and analytics. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I think it's interesting too, to think about like, it's, you know, we still compete with Google in a sense that, you know, a publisher has an option to just throw banner ads on their site and take the check that Google sends them. Um, Or they can put in extra work and build something that's, uh, you know, that that can generate a lot more revenue and be a lot better for their users. Um, so we can we compete with them in that sense. Like we're in the same sort of space. Like you know, in the same kind of way where you look at you know, like Tom's shoes, right? It's like are they competing with Nike? Well, sure. Like I'm going to buy shoes, and I might buy Nike, or I might buy Tom's, but they're in, you know incredibly different value propositions and yeah. incredibly different products. So in the same, like we compete with Google in that same sense, right? Like we're you know Tom's isn't going to become as big as Nike. But they've carved out a really good niche that is, you know, really profitable and, and has done really well for them. Um, and I think of, you know, I think of us in that way as well, where we're we're providing something that's much more unique and and much more compelling for certain publishers and e-commerce sites. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, Google's probably going to serve more more ads than we do because they apply to the whole general public, uh, you know, websites out there. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, so James, like. Over the years, I mean, you know, building a technology company and product is really difficult. You know, there's a lot of grinding. I mean, you're talking about, you know, the the typical 12 to 15 hours a day, or at least, you know, the first few years trying to build the foundation of the company. Well, I mean, what were some of the hardest obstacles that you guys faced? Was it harder, for example, was it harder getting the product completed and out of beta? Or was it harder now competing in the space and trying to drive more revenue? Like, what were some of the really the toughest challenges you guys faced in the whole? Yeah, I mean, I think for me personally, the early stuff was easier, um, just in the sense because it was it was much more about just writing code and getting the product out. Um, When it starts to collide with a customer, is when you know you like the you know you kind of an idea comes into contact with reality, uh, is when things get harder. Um, but I think really it's, it's all hard. You know, I think it's, uh, it's like, you know, it's really no, you know, we probably look back with, with, uh, you know, rose tinted glasses and think that things were easier back then, but I guarantee back then we thought they were pretty hard. Uh, so I don't, I don't think there is an easy part. I think it's all hard, but it's all, you know, it's, it's why we do it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is the thing, you know, I always tell people this, the people with startups always ask me, you know, is it hard? Is it easier in the beginning? And I'm like, yeah, it is. But I mean, the thing is, it's hard to say, I feel it gets harder, right? As you grow, you have to learn how to scale the company, right? You you have to learn how to manage employees. You got to learn how to be a leader. You know, what are your thoughts on that? On just leadership and hiring the right people and, and scaling and and processes. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that, the reason it, I think the reason it feels like it gets harder is because it's pushing ourselves into a different skill set. Um, you know, a, a buddy of mine who had started the company said that, you know, he had the most fun up until about 30 people. And when they hit the 40 or 50 person part, he said, like, I'm basically just in human resources now. Like, I'm just dealing with hiring people and, yep. and dealing with, you know, issues between the different employees and something's not working and how do we deal with so-and-so. And, and it becomes much more of that than it is early on. It's, you know, talk to customers, work on product, ship product, talk to customers, work on product, ship product. And so I don't know that it's easier or harder. You know, if you talk to somebody who's kind of a seasoned operator, uh, the early part is probably a lot harder for them. Because, you know, they're dealing with, you know, stuff they're not as familiar with. Whereas once it gets to 50 people, they're kind of comfortable. Like that's where they operate. 
so I think, you know, when you get pushed into something you're not experienced with, it's going to be harder um, or seem harder. Um, but, you know, I think it's all hard. <laughs> how, how do you guys really stay efficient internally? Is it just a lot of the tools that you guys use? Um, you know, like there's, for example, a tool is, you know, the Atlassian products, right? Like Jira or Confluence. Those tools really help efficiency, uh, at least for us, it helps us a lot. I'm sure you guys use a yeah, lot of Yeah, I mean, I think tools can help. Right? I think uh, sometimes tools get in the way. And sometimes I think we we push for tools that actually make our jobs harder. Um, we actually just use, like, we only use Trello <laughs> for uh, for software development, which sometimes makes our lives harder. Um, but we've done Jira and stuff like that in the past too, and it felt like too much. Um, but to me, I think a lot of it is about uh, really trying to automate things where we can automate them. Uh, especially when it comes to to software um, and how we have things deployed and how we you know how our systems work, uh, you know really like focusing on what we can you know outsourcing what we can outsource. Um, you know we don't we don't outsource software development, but you know we use Amazon for pretty much everything. Um, you know, when we can use an Amazon tool instead mm-hmm. of building it ourselves, we do that. That helps us you know get a lot of leverage uh, on you know not building our own you know, databases or hosting our own data centers and, you know, uh, using their products instead of writing it our own. Like we gain a lot of efficiency there. What about in terms of like documentation, you know, as a, as a software company, essentially, right. You need to have things documented. And I'm not just talking about on the software tech piece. I'm talking about just in terms of how things work between your employees, like processes for how you guys are going to implement a new marketing or sales campaign or processes do you guys document things internally you just kind of do them or because I, th- I think a lot of companies are different you know i've seen some small companies that are incredibly efficient they're very documentation oriented in regards to their processes and i've seen um some big companies that you know at least ones we've worked with that weren't really that organized like they were they didn't have that much documentation they just kind of did things yeah, yeah. no i mean i think that we you know, early on, of course, nothing's documented. Um, we've gotten a lot better about that uh, along the way. And I think you also end up with with people in the company who you have to find the right people that are really good at being connectors. Uh, for instance, we have a we have a QA gay, QI, QA gay guy named Alex. I'll have to edit that out. Um, a QA guy named Alex. Uh, testing yeah, testing guy, guy uh, who uh, does a really great job of being this like interface between product and engineering and support and and he's that guy who he knows what's been deployed he knows what's uh you know what's in progress he knows where something is you know he kind of becomes a super connector inside the company and that becomes really valuable um i think those kind of guys are uh you know pretty pretty great at at doing that and helping keep the company efficient um because otherwise like the thing you can lose is once you have multiple teams right like the communication between those teams uh becomes a becomes a big issue Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, a lot of the companies I've spoken to, they, they said resolving a lot of the issues uh, internally is really just communication because you know how you have different, you guys have sales, you got engineering, you got development, you got all these HR, right? You got all these different departments internally. And in order to resolve, um, or even, even just, I think even just to scale is just increasing communication between each department. It's making sure everyone's on the same page. I'm assuming you yeah, guys yeah, probably no, do that too. 
just making sure that you're on the same page and having meetings and yeah, no, totally. And I think that's that's really where like when you start to scale more and more, like that becomes more and more of the issue, right? It's the communication between teams, and that's where I think like there is such value in like a super connector, and and there's values in uh, you know documentation and things like that. Um, and I think Slack has changed a lot of that too, right? Like it's a lot easier to get to get kind of you know Slack has its issues, right? Like Slack sometimes can make it really hard to work. Um, but for the people whose job it is to kind of yep. know what's going on, like Slack does an incredible job of I can sit in this channel and just kind of see stuff scroll by and and catch up with it when I can. And I have a good idea of what's going on with this certain team. Uh, whereas that would be a lot harder if, you know, I was being CC'd on emails or they were having these, all these conversations in person. Uh, so I think, you know, it's easier, you know, it's easier now than it ever was before uh, to kind of keep in touch uh, between teams. Yeah, love it, love it, love it. So, James, I mean, you're you understand that you know tech is booming. Uh, you know, we all understand it's growing at a really rapid rate, almost too rapid. Uh, I was actually in, I uh, went to Best Buy the other day, and it was crazy, man. Like you just see all these new products. Oh, you're the like, you're oh, the one. Man. You're the one that went to Best Buy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm the one who went to Best Buy. Yeah, I always shop online. I usually you know shop Amazon, but I went in there. It's just kind of you know I'm looking to yeah, get yeah. a new computer or whatnot. But I was getting some quotes, but. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy. You just see all these new products coming out and you can't compete. It's so hard to even compete. I'm obviously physical products, but you need software with the, with those, with, with the hardware. Right. And that's where IOT has, well, it's already been around, but that's emerging and artificial intelligence and you're hearing about, you know, crypto and, and, and just all these emerging technologies. And so how you guys in the digital advertising space, how are you, how are you staying within technology? Are you guys, are you coming, you know, are you and the engineering team and development teams, are you guys kind of just thinking about what's coming up in the future? How are you guys staying competitive yeah, in the I mean, market? I, what are you doing in your space to stay competitive and making sure that you're not, you know, that you're not. Staying, yeah. I mean, I think behind? it's interesting because I think, you know, technology does grow exponentially and we're seeing all this incredible stuff around, you know, AI and machine learning and, and IOT and things like that. Um, but also a lot of it stays the same, yeah. right? Like a lot of it's just the core tenets of building a good API that does what people need, you know, sure the back end of that changes and the, the, maybe the technology is changing, but the, the core fundamentals of it are the same. Um, and so, you know, as we add in more things like, you know, machine learning and things like that, they're just improving algorithms that were already there. Uh, and so a lot of that hasn't changed. I mean, and like the core, I mean, the core ideas behind machine learning are from like the seventies, right? So while it's, it seems to be moving yeah, really I, fast, it's also not moving as fast as people sometimes think it is. Um, you know, and AI is largely just a, a made up word for a lot of people right now, or it's machine learning is now AI, but machine learning is its own thing. And it's been around for a long time. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's, I think it's, it's you know it's always a challenge to keep up and there's always a lot going on but it's always to it's always important to remember that the key thing is providing value you know and in solving a problem for your customers and that that doesn't change so what do you see what technologies do you really see emerging i mean are there any ones that you see that are up and coming and any ones that you see dying i mean i guess up and coming we kind of talked about it right it's you know ai and um you know and, and vr ar but what do you see in regards to like anything that's dying? No, I mean, I think that I think the old stuff doesn't really die, right? It just gets relegated to a smaller role, um, you know. So things that were, you know, things like you know, uh, Dynamo and things like that that were really big kind of innovations ten, fifteen years ago are now just 
you know, everybody can use them, right? Like a, like a high performance key value store and things like that. Like these just become table stakes now for how you're building stuff. Um, so I, I don't see, I don't see that it dies off. It just becomes part of what we're doing. Right. I mean, we were all really excited about semiconductors at one point. Um, and it's not that they've died off. It's just that we'd take it for granted now. Right. Um, so I think this, the same thing's happening. Like I don't, I don't see stuff dying off. And I think a lot of the new technologies too. I mean, a lot of it are, or a lot of it's, you know, it goes through a hype cycle. Uh, and so, you know, it gets really exciting and the blockchain and crypto is taking off and it's going crazy. And it's going to solve everything. And, you know, I mean, I think it, we're still years away from it solving a lot of real world problems. And I do think it will solve a lot of real world problems. And I'm pretty bullish on the blockchain in general. Um, but it's, you know, it's still in a very early stage and we probably are aware of these things in an earlier stage than we ever have been before. Right. Like it was probably, it took longer for something to bubble up mm-hmm. before, whereas now like we see it a lot earlier. Um, and the same with AI, like, you know, like, you know, AI has come a long way, but there's, there's, you know, all these different sections of AI that we're kind of lumping AI into and where things that like machine learning, which are, you know, fairly mature in some ways, but, you know, still have a long way to go. And then there's genetic algorithms and there's, you know, computer vision, which we've seen come a long way recently with the, you know, the kind of driving stuff. Um, so there's, you know, lots of pieces to this and it's all exciting and, uh, you know, we're going to keep see it growing, but it's all, you know, it's all going to augment what we're doing now. Like, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't going to totally change anything unless somebody builds like an actual, you know, true AI that's self-learning. And then we're all kind of in trouble. <laughs> code, code that builds itself. Yeah. Code that builds code. Yeah. yeah I, I saw this uh, commercial. It was, I think it was Microsoft. I think it was Microsoft and uh, it was common, you know, common, the, uh, the, the rapper or the actor. And he, he had this really, it was, I really actually was, it was pretty cool, man. It was really inspiring because people get, they get threatened when you say AI or machine learning, they think of Terminator, right? They think of, um, what's that? What's that? Um, yeah, Skynet. Terminator. Skynet. That's it. And they're like, they're threatened by it. Now I've talked, some other people I've interviewed, they had some really cool thoughts about artificial intelligence and machine learning, but you know, I'm actually really excited about where AI and machine learning are are going. I I think it's just the people behind those ideas and people behind the AI development and logic. I think, I think it's, it's always about who's building it and their intentions behind it. And it was pretty cool with Common talking about this in, in a commercial promoting Microsoft, I guess what they're doing in AI um, and, and how he was saying, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to react to it? It was pretty cool the way he talked about it. And it was, it was, it had like the music in the background. And I just thought it was, it was pretty cool. Like you're not seeing too many commercials on that. And I liked how Microsoft was, introducing that i would think it was really creative the way their sales and marketing team did that but you know with that being said i mean do you feel like artificial how do you feel artificial intelligence is affecting you know your space do you think it's it's a it's going to positively impact it or what do you yeah no i definitely think it will i think it already is i mean the ad tech space is usually pretty forward on a lot of this stuff and there are you know there's people out there using um, machine learning for, you know, optimizing algorithms and, and buying ads. And there's people, you know, pitching AI of different types, like whether they're genetic algorithms or, or what it is. Um, you know, there's, there's a huge opportunity in the space for it. Um, because a lot of this is around optimizing ads, right? Showing the right ad to the right person at the right time is a very computer solvable problem. Um, so I think we will see a lot of big advancements uh, in this space around that. Um, and there's stuff where, you know, they're talking about, you know, Watson being used for some of this stuff. 
Um, I haven't seen a lot of, I think that was at a, I was at a conference not that long ago where people, you know, were kind of like, how many people think AI is actually being used? And it was like seven hands. And how many people think AI is like what the marketing department says is being used? And it was like 70 hands. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of marketing where right now. Um, but I do think that the reality, yeah. you know, is that AI and machine learning will have a big impact on, on, uh, you know, the advertising industry over the next, you know, five and 10 years. Yeah. Are you guys going to incorporate any AI, you know, algorithm or logic or, you know, how there's Google TensorFlow, right? I mean, are you going to incorporate anything yeah, into we've, your Yeah, we've been doing some some yeah. digging into um, mainly machine learning uh, and, and how we can help optimize ads. Uh, we've also done a little bit of testing around with genetic algorithms um, and using that to also optimize ads. Um, one of the tough things is that advertising, unlike uh, things like the stock market, is that it's it's hard to... It's hard to run, uh, uh, you know, regressions going back because you don't actually know what would have happened if you showed this ad to a user. Um, unlike, you know, buying and selling stock and things like that, where you can say, "Oh, if I had bought it, it would have gone up or would have gone down." Um, there's some unique challenges in the ad space for that. Uh, so, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff to overcome. But yeah, we've been we've been researching on on both machine learning and genetic genetic algorithms, and there there is a lot of potential there uh, around ad optimizations. Cool. Yeah, that's that's great insight, James. Really appreciate that. I, th I think a lot of people can can really, you know, learn about, you know, the, I think the the power of um, of artificial intelligence. Get a good understanding about it. And I think it's um, good you talking about it in your space as well. So, you know, James, I, I want to talk a little bit about the over just just in terms of in giving some ins insight to future tech entrepreneurs. You know, what do you think future leaders and entrepreneurs could really should really be aware of or and, and, and avoid um, when they're starting a company? Any tips that you would give them? Yeah, I mean, I think right now the we're, we're in a shift of a couple things, which is one, I think that now it's easier. You know, we've when I think about when I started versus where it is today, um, you know, we had, a, I think, a harder time building the product because we didn't have as many tools as available as there are today. Um, when you look at, like, what's available from Amazon and Google and Microsoft and when it, or, you know, what technologies or tools or open source, um, it's only becoming easier and easier to build a product, right? You know, to build a SaaS product. Uh, the thing that's I think is becoming exponentially harder is to actually get attention and to get users of that product. Um, and so I think that's the part that people still undervalue. Uh, they think about if I build this product, you know, it's like the field of dreams thing. If I build this product, people will come. Nobody's going to show up. Like it's harder and harder, you right? You have to know how to market it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's harder and harder to get that out there. So I think that more and more now it's, you know, building a company is, is almost more about how are you going to get people aware of this? How are you going to get people to try it? How are you going to get people to sign up for it and pay for it and use it? That is about actually building the product. And I think, you know, it's always been an important part, but I think the, the, the pendulum is, is, you know, moving and, uh, and which is harder. And I think now it's actually harder to get out there. I mean, when you look at product hunt or something, there's dozens of products launching every day. And while it's, it's a momentous yeah. event to you when you launch your product, you know, to me, like, I'm not going to hear about it, right? Like, you know, it's like, you're, you're maybe going to hear about a couple of products a week. And even that is probably too much for most people. So um, I think having a plan and understanding how you're going to get people to use this product or pre-selling it, right? Like finding people before you even build it that agree to buy it um, 
is is the hardest part now. Uh, and I think and that's where, you know, yeah. if I think that, you know, people who can build software, you know, are incredibly valued right now. You know, engineers are really well paid. Like, I think the only people who would who are paid more or maybe or will be paid more soon are the growth people who know how to actually get the word out about that, um, about that product. That's not just, you know, throwing millions of dollars at AdWords or something like that, because anybody can do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, finding strategic marketers, people to actually get, get your product adopted and people to actually engage in your product and essentially purchase it buy right. Get getting buyers, customers. So I, 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 Definitely agree with that. You know, I've spoken to so many, I mean, over the years, so many different startups, everyone has these ideas, right? Everyone has this idea and they think that just because you'll, just because they develop a product, they think that people are just going to engage with it and they're going to get, they're going to make money straight away. And I think it's a lot of, I think the problem in our economy now, or even just around the world is high, very high expectations too quickly. Um, these, uh, you know, instant gratification, you hear a lot about that, right? Instant gratification. They want a quick return and people are not willing to be patient. They're not willing to, to plan ahead and be strategic in their, in their, not only their product development, but in their sales strategies and their marketing. Right. And I think that's essential. And it seems like that's what you guys did. And I read, I read some of, I, you know, I, I read about you, James, in, in your company and it, I, I saw like how planning and patience played a vital role in Adzer. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, there's a couple things there, right? So I think that one of the things that you see a lot of people do is they too quickly shift from thing to thing, um, from idea to idea. And I think that I'm as guilty of that as anybody else. Um, and it's something that I've had to, I've had to work a lot on my personal patience. Um, you know, where you, you come up with an idea, you have something you want to ship, you want to do it. You know, we quickly, you know, in today's day and age, like we want to stare at real-time graphs of Google Analytics or, you know, real-time graphs of Stripe and see money come in. Um, but it takes a lot longer. Um, especially, I mean, at least for us, it's taken a lot longer, right? This is all just personal experience. I'm sure some people launch, launch right. something and, and immediately see it go, you know, go crazy. Um, but when it, when it comes to AdZerk, especially when you're selling to, you know, enterprise companies, um, there's a lot of patience in in working with these companies over the months and and getting them set up and getting them to be successful, uh, and so everything you know it is very much you know you're firing a you're you know you're firing a, a cannon shot and you have to wait three months to see if it lands. Um, so there's there's a lot of of patience involved in that, um, you know. And I think and when it comes to planning, like we're you know I, I wouldn't say we're the best planners in the world, but you know, I think we have, you know, we planned out a vision of what we do. And while we, we change a lot around um, what, you know, how we might fulfill those goals, uh, we've had, you know, we're yeah. pretty steady in what we believe that we should be doing. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, the idea of the flywheel, right? And so that's the, um, uh, from, from the book, Good to Great, like the Jim Collins book, um, where he talks about, yeah. you know, good companies, like they start a flywheel moving in one direction and they keep it moving in that direction. And then eventually the flywheel picks up momentum and, and you couldn't stop it if you wanted to, or it's really hard to stop it. And so, you know, we, years ago, we decided that we had core goals, which were to help publishers and, and e-commerce sites to, to, uh, you know, to make money. Right. And our other core goals was to, to make the internet a better place, right. To replace crappy flash banner ads with, you know, high quality native ads. Uh, and those things haven't changed in, you know, four or five years since we came up with that. 
Um, and so we've been pushing that flywheel and sure, like maybe we change because, you know, we built an API for a different platform or we, we realize that, you know, this type of customer is slightly better for us than another type of customer, or we could change a whole backend technology. All of the implementation can change, but, you know, the general idea and what we've planned for all along is, you know, is what's, you know, paying off, right? Getting that flywheel moving and keeping that flywheel moving. Right. I mean, with with all that being said, and I love it. I think that that's great. I mean, with with all that being said, do you feel that you know you you being an entrepreneur, you having all this experience now in our economy now, do you think it's harder to start a company, or you feel it's easier? From what I'm hearing, it's easier because there's a lot more tools, there's a lot more resources now. But I've heard some, I've heard from some really successful people that it's you know it's it's harder. Yeah, I mean, so I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier is that I think that it's it's dramatically easier to start a company. I think it's dramatically harder to become successful. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a question is, you know, if it's if it's getting to a couple customers, a couple paying customers and build it, building the product, getting to a couple paying customers, I think that's easier than it ever was before. I think rising above the noise and building a meaningful company is harder than it ever was before because of how easy it's gotten to be to start it. You know, uh, when you talk to, right. when you talk to guys who started companies back in the nineties, it was like you literally needed millions of dollars to buy hardware to make a website. Right. So just, you know, or like not a website, but like a real, like, you know, uh, you know, destination site, like a pets.com or something like that. Right. Like there wasn't, you know, nowadays, like I can go start pets.com in 25 minutes with a Shopify account. Right. Like I could literally just pull stuff off a uh, off of Alibaba and and put it into Shopify yeah. and call it pets.com if I had the domain name and I'm done. You know, so you go from a company needing, you know, twenty million dollars of Sun and Oracle servers and developers and all this kind of stuff to, to twenty five minutes. And so, you know, it's easier than ever to launch this stuff. The hard part is how, you know, would anybody come to my site? No, right? Like, how would I get people to my site? Like, I'd have to be an expert in SEO or marketing, or I'd have to have built a brand, or I'd have to have, right. you know, be an influencer, or I'd have to, you know, come up with a really great marketing plan to to launch this thing. So you think about it, like, the hard part now isn't launching the e-commerce site, it's, it's making it successful. The hard part now isn't building the SaaS app. You know, you could go build a SaaS app for dentists, uh, you know, if you had a dentist buddy who told you what they needed. Um, the hard part would be how are you how are you going to sell that to the you know seven hundred thousand dentists or whatever it is across America? Uh, so I think that you know in some ways in some ways it's a lot easier to launch it, and in a lot of ways it's a lot harder. Yeah, that's why that's why I, you hear a lot about you know hard work plus consistency. It's okay to make a lot of mistakes, right? But at least, at least you're trying new methods and strategies. If you if you fail at it, it's okay. I mean, just keep trying and keep moving forward. Like you were talking about the wheel, right? Keep moving forward and trying new things. And eventually you're going to find something that works. And I think those are a lot of, those are the people that make it is, is over time. It's a, it's, they stay consistent with it and they don't give up. Yeah. I mean, I think, and, I and think that's, that's the, the core. Yeah. And that's the key part about trying something different, right? Because like the difference between, there's a difference between trying a bunch of things and, and there's a difference between trying a bunch of things with the same goal, right? Like I think, and that's where it's easy to, to get distracted where, you know, it's not, you know, a flywheel is going in the same direction. And if what you're trying is, if what you're trying is totally different things every two months, then you're not going in the same direction. You're trying lots of things in different directions and, and that you'll never get momentum going. Right. So it's all about having clarity of, of focus and clarity of like what the value you want to provide is. Um, 
and, and you know, and trying different things to get to that. Um, whereas, you know, when you have people that just go in a hundred different directions where it's a totally different value, they're providing different places. And that's where you can get into a lot of trouble. Cool. Yeah, James, this is, this is all great. Really appreciate it, man. So I always, to, to cap things off, I always, uh, ask the three hows. So how do you define failure? How do you define entrepreneurship and how do you define success? Yeah. So, uh, how do I define failure? So I, I would define failure as doing the same wrong thing again. <laughs> you know, I think I think it's like I'm totally okay with with doing something and and failing at it and learning, um, you know, or not being successful, right? Like, so trying something, not being successful, having it not work, and learning, you know, learning a valuable lesson from that. Um, failure is when you try something and you fail and you don't learn anything from that. And so you either do it again or you don't get any value out of it. Right. Um, you know, if we look at this as a set of experiments, as long as we get, you know, understanding from that experiment, it was, it was valuable. You know, if, if ads are shut down tomorrow, I wouldn't consider it a failure because, um, you know, I've learned a tremendous amount. We've delivered a tremendous amount of value to a large number of customers and, uh, you know, and employees and, and people like that. Um, that I think it would not be a failure because we have learned so much. Um, now, if we, if we, if I went and started another company, and did the exact same thing and failed the exact same way, that would absolutely be a failure, right? Like, cause we wouldn't have learned anything that we, we wouldn't have taken anything we learned from yeah. Zerk. Um, then we look at that internally too, right? Like if we, if we try selling to a new type of customer, we try, you know, you know, retrofitting their product for a different group. If it doesn't work, that's okay. We learn that that doesn't work, that that wasn't the right move. Um, but if we keep trying to do the same thing or we, or we, you know, push it for too long or we spend too long before we realize it's not going to work, then that, that can be a failure. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, how do you define entrepreneurship? I think is a, it's an interesting question. I think that it, it really just comes down to, uh, to me, I'm kind of a purist in that I think it's, you know, it's, it's launching a company. It's starting something on your own from scratch uh, and building something out of nothing. Um, I think that's entrepreneurship. Um, I have a hard time swallowing like entrepreneurship inside of Fortune 500 companies and things like that. Because I think if you're not, if you're not ever at least once afraid of if you're going to get paid next week, like it's hard to call it entrepreneurship. Yeah, I, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, and then, you know, how do you define success? Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of different metrics, I guess. Um, but to me, it's about, uh, it's about creating value. Um, and it's about creating value uh, for other people or for other companies or for, you know, yourself or for your investors. Um, you know, it's all, that's kind of the name of the game, right? Like everything we do is to try to create value. Um, even if you're in a nonprofit, right? Like your goal is to create value. So I think success is just creating value. Um, and, you know, and, and part of that is, you know, learning, right? Learning is, is very valuable. So uh, I think, you know, as long as we're creating value in the world, then I think we're being successful. Love it. Love it. So James, where can everyone find you? Social uh, handles, website. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, uh, so yeah, adzert.com obviously for the company. Uh, I'm on Twitter as uh, Avery J. Uh, also um, on Medium as Avery J as well. Uh, and I think that's about it. Awesome. James, thank you so much, man. Thank you. Really, really appreciate you being with me here today. And it was great. I think people can, can uh, learn a lot from this. And again, thank you very much, everyone, for listening to Tales from the Pros. And this is Michael Giorgio, your host. Thank you, guys. Take care.